Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my It's just another night for Supernatural Girls Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker On the one, the only, Supernatural Girls Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, PK, all the way from Tucson. How are you doing tonight? Oh, absolutely fabulous with the great guests we've got tonight. How could you be otherwise? I know it. This is so exciting. We have Dr. Richard Gallagher back with us tonight. Brand new book. And we're going to bring him on in just a couple of minutes. And, PK, what's going on? What's going on with numbers? Well, a little crazy. <laughs> Not a little crazy. The world's a lot crazy. It is so important for all of us to really be paying attention to what's happening this month. This month is a preview of next year. So you're getting a bird's eye view of what you may have to put some odds of course, I try to put things together because everything is seeming to be upside down and backwards right now. Between the solar flares that we had on Sunday and Monday, it's really knocked everybody's socks off. So many different directions to go. And we're watching so many stories being told online because the year we're going into also will deal with secrets being made known. And boy, hasn't that been the case since the month of October started. Can't yes, wait for this one to be. Oh, so it's going to be very interesting once we get into the first part of the year because right now that bridge period is taking everybody by storm because we're looking at people telling lie after lie, which is making you a little crazy with what they're making you look at one side of the street. It says yes. The other side of the street says no, and then they flip it on you. You're going, wait a minute, Mm. something's wrong here. And it truly is. There's a lot wrong here. Looking forward to better things because the spiritual side is also going to be upgraded to the nth degree this coming year. So let's work on that side versus the downside that we know is out there dangling in front of us. Looks like a piñata. The good and bad, the ugly, unfortunately. Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up lies and stories being told because 
We had Corey Good on the show. Um, it was a great show with Corey. He's a wonderful guest, and he had a lot of great information. <laughs> and lately, somebody has started some stories, some gossip and rumors about Corey. And when I read this, I contacted Corey's management um, and spoke with them and said, hey, what's going on? Is you know, I'm reading this stuff on the Internet. Now, mm-hmm. listen, you know, they can say anything they want on the Internet, right? And who knows and if it's do. true or not, right? That's right. And this is just what you're saying, and that's just what you've been talking about. So I said to them, listen, uh, we love Corey. We think he's great. And uh, we were very, uh, very concerned seeing these, these rumors being spread across the Internet. Do you want us to say anything to the audience tonight? Because our audience really responded well, you know, with Corey's presentation, mm-hmm. everything he had to say. So she, she gave, Debbie gave me something to read. So I'm going to do that on, on Corey's behalf. And so basically it's this. Corey is displeased with the gossip and rumors being spread, but is unable to comment on his legal proceedings due to a federal protective order being in effect, which is also in effect for the others involved in the proceedings. So that's what they asked me to share. Happy to do it. And, you know, it's too bad when when people try to ruin your reputation and they blast things across the Internet. Very hard to combat it. So, anyways, uh, for those of you who know uh, specifically what I'm talking about, you might want to let these folks know that have been posting those things that they should really check the source before they go ahead with it. And we're going to be having Good Corey point. back. He's he's coming back in December, and we will hear what he has to say about all of his exciting adventures then. But good guy, and our audience loved him, so... We're happy to to stand on his behalf. And tonight, yes, like, mm-hmm. yes oh, we have, as we mentioned, together. I can't wait. <laughs> yes, I know, really. Psychiatrist, board certified psychiatrist too, Dr. Richard Gallagher. He has a brand new book. It's called Demonic Foes: My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist. Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Now, again, I'm going to repeat this. He is a board-certified psychiatrist and a professor of psychiatry at New York Medical and a psychoanalyst on the faculty of Columbia University. He graduated from Princeton University, Phi Beta Kappa in Classics, and trained as a resident in psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine, the world's foremost scientific expert on the subject of diabolic attacks. He has been an active member of the International Association of Exorcists since the 1990s. He is the author, again, of the new book, Demonic Foes, my 25 years as a psychiatrist investigating possession, diabolic attacks, and the paranormal. And he lives in Westchester, New York, and he's here with us tonight. Dr. Gallagher, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, uh, Patricia and uh, PK. Nice, nice of you to have invited me back. Well, it's, 
As we said before we got live, yeah, it is our total pleasure to have you here. What a story. I mean, you have such an amazing background. You're you're highly credentialed, beyond highly credentialed. And here you are in the center of all of this going on around exorcism. And, in fact, Doctor, we were reading that the Vatican is holding exorcist training courses because of a rise in possession. Is that true? Uh, Yes, there's certainly more interest in this sort of thing, and there probably are more possessions that happen for complicated reasons, although I think there's also more publicity and more people who sometimes mistakenly feel they're possessed so for that reason, you know, the church, uh, and I don't speak for the church, but uh, the church has decided that they, you know, they they uh, want to appoint more exorcists as well as, as ensure better training. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I mean, what's going on? And you said some of this is, is more about these cases being made known. But it, do you feel that there is something happening where there's more demonic forces in the world today that is creating this? Why all of a sudden is this worse than ever? Well, I think you have to talk about different areas of the world. For instance, you know, in a place like Haiti, some of the uh, East Asian countries, there's always been a lot of not only uh, belief in evil spirits, but a certain amount of... Uh, uh, dark experiences, let's call it. In, in the Western world, uh, most traditional, you know, you might say orthodox uh, religious thinkers, mainstream religious thinkers, would say that with the, the decline in belief in uh, mainstream religion, that uh, a lot of people have turned to alternatives, sometimes you know, dangerous or darker alternatives of the occult. And uh, for that reason, uh, you know, some people feel there's there's more of these type of cases that we're talking about, not only possessions and oppressions. Of course, at the same time, you know, I as a psychiatrist, when I started, when I started getting involved in this about 30 years ago, we were all well aware that, that sometimes there was exaggeration and, you know, people just imagining they were possessed or imagining they were Satanist all over the place. I mean, that still exists in this country to some extent. And, you know, we know from the news that, you know, there are these conspiracy theories about Satanist all over the place. But, uh, you know, for better or for worse, uh, I think I've uh, uh, had to deal with some of the few exceptions to that rule. But one always has to be a little careful that you don't exaggerate or sensationalize this whole subject either. Exactly. Now, this is a a very unusual subject for traditional psychiatrists. So what was it that that got you interested in this whole field? Well, um, you know, I was was brought up Catholic, and uh, I certainly, you know, at, at Princeton, I certainly uh, sort of majored in classics and history, so I developed some awareness of the pervasiveness of, you know, beliefs in what we would now call the paranormal and uh, spiritual experiences throughout history. But I, I didn't really volunteer for this 
work. <laughs> uh, you know, about about a little more than 25 years ago, after I finished my residency in psychiatry at Yale, uh, I, I took a job with Cornell Medical College. And one day early on, when I was in attending there, I had a um, uh, a local priest who, who was actually a prominent exorcist, and he walked into my office and introduced himself and said, you know, Dr. Gallagher, uh, you know, I know you're an academic psychiatrist and a Catholic believer, so, um, you know, uh, I'd like your help on, uh, on evaluating the case that I think is demonically attacked. And, you know, I said to this very pleasant but some, somewhat rumpled-looking uh, uh, guy, I said, well, Father, you know, with all due respect, with all due respect, I don't, uh, you know, I, I think people can get carried away with that stuff. And uh, he said, well, then you're the perfect man for the job. So uh, that's how I got introduced to the field. And, you know, he he introduced me to a woman he wanted my evaluation. This is a woman who was, uh, in his view, uh, literally being beaten up by spirits. Uh, she's not someone who had, you know, got involved in the occult. In fact, she was a very, um, you know, she was a very wonderful person. Uh, but, you know, for different reasons that one can speculate about, uh, she became a target of evil spirits. And uh, people who knew her, including her husband, described just watching her uh, literally seeming to be pummeled uh in her house by evil blows. And I was a little skeptical in the beginning, you know, she had bruises, we had to do some lab tests. But eventually I, I came to believe that uh, this was the, you know, even as a scientist, uh, which all doctors should be to an extent, uh, you know, I came to believe that this was a genuine, what we call, not a possession, but what we call an oppression. And after that, you know, the, uh, these two of these exorcists who, at the time, there weren't that many Catholic exorcists in the United States, two of these exorcists, you know, enlisted my help in evaluating and assessing, you know, many, many other people. Now, some of those people were mentally ill. Some of those people were just very imaginative and were not possessed. Uh, but a fair amount over, over, you know, the two and a half or so decades that I've been doing this work now, being asked to consult on cases all over the world, uh, all over the globe, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly have seen more than my share of cases. That's fascinating. Now, the woman that you talked about, that was the that was Maria, right, in your book that you wrote about? Yeah, I mean, I never used... Getting beaten up. I, I, I always, I always, yes, that, that's what I called her in the book. The, the only thing okay. that is uh, made up in the book is, uh, you know, I don't identify where anybody comes from and sure. I don't identify their actual right. name for reasons of confidentiality. Absolutely. But every other fact in the in the in this in this book that you were kind enough to mention, Demonic Pose, everything else is, is completely accurate. And uh you know, it's somewhat of a sober book, but uh I certainly wouldn't have written the book if I was making things up. Uh but her name was Maria, a uh, very sweet woman. I mean, I can I can mention she had a uh, Mexican American background, and she was from out west. And uh, you know, uh, in her culture, there were 
you know, things like uh, brujos, which are sort of, you know, male wizards and that sort of stuff. And she believed that somehow she had run afoul of somebody and, and this evil attack upon her had occurred. That's a pretty hard thing for certain people to stomach, but it's certainly a very widespread belief around the world. It is, indeed. Mm-hmm. We've heard Definitely. a lot about that. Yeah. And and she so she was just being beaten up by invisible fists, right? There was no discernible entity that anybody saw, but these bruises formed on her body. You know, all these cases are, you know, not not to mention a little weird, all these cases are different, you know, and in her case, I mean, there mm-hmm. are people who claim to see spirits, and this is where you have to rule out, you know, people who hallucinate or something like that. But in, in her case, uh, yes, uh, she could be lying in her bed, uh, you know, her husband and her, her, her friend watching, and everyone would experience as if, you know, some kind of invisible force was punching her, uh, and they, they felt incredibly helpless, which is why eventually they did seek the uh, help of the church and, uh, uh, you know, somewhat remarkably uh, at that point in my um, involvement in this sort of thing, uh, you know, eventually the, those those prayers and her own spiritual efforts seemed to, uh, um, you know, convey to her a, a type of uh, protection so that this stuff disappeared. Uh, you know, it was, it was a pleasure to... It was a pleasure to see the couple afterwards, uh, so joyous and and thankful. Yes, and she was quite religious, right? You wrote about that too. Mm -hmm. She was very. She was she was religious, and you know there there is sometimes a misconception, and almost like sometimes a blaming of people when they're demonically attacked, Uh, but it, it it is it is common. Well, I won't say it's common. All this stuff is rare. So I don't want to act like, um, you know, I'm ever saying this, these phenomena. Uh, primarily I'm talking about oppressions and, and the, the even mm-hmm. more uncommon possessions. Uh, this stuff is rare. So anybody who sees them all the time, you know, is probably mistaken. Having said that, um, people who get in, attacked are often people who have turned to something dark, um they 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 may have they may have turned to you know outright evil behavior they may have turned to occult groups that are dark in themselves or unwittingly so uh you know are drawing on powers that you know are beyond what they think they're you know uh, dealing with uh but it is also true that sometimes, even more rarely, and I, I would use Maria as a good rare example, that evil spirits also hate people who are very spiritual and very holy. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the history of right. you know religious figures throughout history, for instance, some of the great saints, you know, uh, have reported uh, being attacked by spirits too now there is a there is a kind of difference because often you know the holy people you know take it as a kind of uh, almost penitential thing and you know they're they're upset by it but um you know they they take it as um something that they they keep their peace about remarkably enough uh 
Maria, Maria was clearly disturbed by this. She wanted to get rid of it, but it, even so, it, it, it did not shake her belief in God or something. That's great. So she, she maintained her, her connection. Now, can, can we talk a little bit about that very famous movie, The Exorcist? Now, that was based on a true story, right? Right. Yes, that was, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I've studied, mm-hmm. I've studied the, the, the true story. There's, there are numerous books about it. Uh, there are always people who, you know, in my opinion, take pot shots at those stories and claim that, uh, you know, things were exaggerated. But, you know, I, I, I did know some uh, people who knew the priest who were involved in that. And, um, uh, it, it originally was based on uh, a boy and um, uh, a 12 year old boy. Now she, he had a, uh, an aunt who uh, was in touch with, with deceased souls in our view. And, and that, you know, look, I know people have different beliefs about that, but that can lead sometimes to a dark outcome. And all of a sudden in, in, in his house, the witnesses, you know, all kinds of strange things would happen. And eventually he became uh, possessed. Now, William, Patter, William Peter Blatty, who um, became aware of that case when he was a student at Georgetown, uh, eventually uh, wrote it in a fictionalized form about uh, the character uh, that he made into a female, Reagan. Some of the details in the movie uh, were accurate, uh, but there was a lot changed, too. Vladdy uh, had actually read a very famous book, which not many people are aware of, but it was by a German historian who wrote about possessions existing all throughout history in all cultures. I mean, it's a truly a magisterial uh, work. And so Vladdy had read that book. It was by a guy named Professor Osterreich, and uh, he incorporated elements of other cases in the movie, too. So the movie clearly had a fictionalized uh, um, aspect to it, but it was it was very much based on, on this 12-year-old boy at its core. And uh, it took a while, but he was eventually... Uh, uh, he was originally from Maryland. All this is public knowledge at the moment. He was originally from Maryland, and uh, later he uh, um, was brought to St. Louis, where uh, a couple of Jesuit priests did a series of exorcisms, and he was eventually delivered, like like Reagan in the movie. Gosh, it's an incredible story. I, I went to Boston College like a million years ago, and... The, some of the Jesuits that were there uh, at the college talked about being involved with that case, and they said it really was terrifying. Um, they said if you saw what we saw, you would have run out of the room and all the way back to wherever your hometown was because it was that terrifying. So what you talked about, some of the things in the movie were absolutely accurate, that they did happen. Do you, can you tell us some about something about that? Well, he had these, uh, apparently he had these marks on his skin at times, which would appear, uh, I think in the movie, they, they, the character Reagan, you know, has this skin marks that say, help me or something like that. 
he he had different messages on his skin. And what was most dramatic was some of the stuff during the exorcism. Uh, uh, it, it was reported to me that he did levitate during an exorcism, that he also um, spoke foreign languages, you know, including Latin. Uh, I've certainly seen exorcisms where, you know, people speak foreign languages and, you know, very strange things happen in the room, as did in, in his case, and in fact, even in his house. And there were multiple, multiple witnesses to that sort of stuff. Uh, I've never seen a levitation myself, but I write about a case in the book of a, a woman who was an outright Satanist. Again, I, I, I went into it a little skeptical because I was aware of this hysteria about Satanism at the time, but this was the real deal. Now, I didn't see, even though I've been to a lot of exorcisms, I didn't see her exorcism. But, you know, about eight people reported to me that for about a half an hour she levitated too, like the character of Reagan in The Exorcist. Talked over the years, including, you know, in my uh, many trips to Europe, uh, I've talked to uh, people in, in different countries that they have they have witnessed levitations too. So, um, you know, these are the kind of things that the movie reflected, which, uh, you know, strange to say, also exist in reality. Yeah, I, it was a sensation when it came out, that movie, and obviously oh, people yes, are still was. talking about it. Yeah, it was. It was no, a big it, deal. It, it was. It, it was an extremely popular movie. It was one of the highest-grossing movies of all time, adjusted for inflation, and you know it was rated the the number one horror movie of all time, and uh, I think that's because you know, obviously you go to a you go to a, a horror movie and you even read some books on Satanists and stuff, and you know there's often tremendous tremendous exaggeration. But since people knew this was based on a real case, uh, it really mm-hmm. did. It really did scare a lot of people. Yeah, it did. It did. I, mean, I remember <laughs> we're going. To, it was my mother of all people. Oh my God! <laughs> oh gee, incredible. Well, it, it was. It was very well you know, done. Very well acted. You know, well, if I can just uh, say one more thing about that movie. Of course. At the end, the demon is shown to jump into the priest who then, you know, either goes berserk or, Mm -hmm. you know, intentionally jumps out the window to get rid of the demon and dies. Uh, It's interesting, even that was based on a a very famous case in France about 300 years ago, uh, uh, which was in in Osterreich's book, and I'm sure Blatty took it from the book. It was about a priest who had been working with a bunch of nuns. This was a very famous case in French history. It, it was called, uh, I actually played a basketball game there, near there, that town of Ledon in, in France. And uh, Aldous Huxley wrote a famous book about that. And he was somewhat of a skeptic, but he wrote a famous book called The Devils of Ledon, uh, which was made into a movie. Long story short, uh, the the, the main exorcist in that nunnery also invited uh, a demon to attack him instead and was and was seriously assaulted by demons you know for most of the rest of his life so again you can see how Blatty took 
some details, not only from the 12-year-old boy, but uh, but also from other, you know, historical cases, and and made a made a, a quite a compelling movie out of it. Yeah, it was pretty brilliant. Now, you did write in the book that this little boy was basically saved, and he went on to have a normal life after this. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, he, he became some kind of businessman. He actually died uh, not that long ago. And, huh. uh, you know, his his character was eventually publicly uh, uh, publicly identified. So, you know, uh, everything I'm talking about is on the public record at this point. Uh, originally, he was given several pseudonyms, but eventually investigators, you know, tracked him down. And I don't think he was too happy about that. I don't yeah, think he really not. wanted uh, to become to become such a public figure. But apparently, you know, he led he led a fairly normal life. Yeah, that's that's just such good news. Now, when priests do exorcisms, you know, we're used to we're not used to uh, the truth about this because we watch it stuff on t- TV that's dramatic and <laughs> may or may not be real. So. What do they? Mm-hmm. What happens? I mean, do they use holy water? Do they use certain passages in the Bible? How does this work? Yeah, it, it at least in the Catholic Church, and and of course, it's you know there are many many Protestant exorcists as well, uh, and in fact, there are exorcists in most religions. You know, you can you can talk to Muslims who have uh, imams who you know attempt to drive out evil spirits. Uh, the Catholic Church probably has the most organized way mm-hmm. of working with these individuals, and so they're often called upon. Uh, you know, I tend to I tend to think they're the most effective, but you know that's my own view. Um, so uh, in in the Catholic Church, uh, <clears throat> there was a famous manual about um, 300 years ago called the Roman Ritual, and that kind of codified prayers, Bible passages, procedures that the Catholic Church wanted people to use in a, in a certain, you know, exorcism rite. And, and it's been modified several times, but it's still used. And in addition to those uh, prayers, um, yeah, people, people will have a crucifix, people will have uh, holy water, which often disturbs the spirits no end. And uh, it is it is kind of worked out. Having said that, you know every case is a little bit different too. So as the as the priest is commanding the spirit to leave, uh, you know there are different scenarios. Not not every exorcism is successful. Sometimes exorcisms take a long time. Um, but you know I've, I've been to quite a few and I've seen quite a few successful ones. Yeah, that's wonderful. Again, very good news about that. Now, do people have to be restrained? The people that are are the focus of this. Yes, often they often they do have to be restrained. Uh, I tell the story in, in in the book about an inexperienced exorcist who happened to be a, a Protestant deacon, and he dealt with a, a woman in the book um, I call Barbara. And she was a woman who had, uh, unfortunately, as a, as a young woman, had gotten involved with a group of local um, Satanists in her neighborhood. She became possessed, and when it became obvious that she was possessed in her Protestant church, 
a deacon in that church who unfortunately didn't have much experience started to, you know, get a group together and pray over her. When the demon manifested itself, because, you know, it's not it's not manifesting itself 24-7. It comes and goes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, at least manifests itself in an interrupted way. And uh, under the prayers will often manifest itself or is forced to. And so uh, this 90-pound soaking wet woman, all of a sudden, she was not restrained and jumped up, attacked the uh, the, the deacon, literally, uh, again, I didn't witness this, but, you know, uh, many witnesses uh, corroborated it, literally through the deacon, who was about a 200-pound guy, across the room. So wow. That's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of extreme strength, which, uh, look, I mean, there are psychiatric patients who, when they're manic, can seem very strong, but, you know, nothing nothing to that degree. So, uh, you know, exhibiting strength far beyond what a human could do or having abnormal movements, in addition to speaking foreign languages or, um, you know, clearly knowing hidden information about people. Uh, those are some of the classic signs that uh, the Roman ritual, you know, suggests people look for in order to kind of prove that there's a foreign entity involved. And and you will see that. I, you know, I've seen all that stuff many times. Now, it also it reminds me when I watch, you know, this dramatic television around this, they they talk a lot about how important it is to get the demon's name. So is that an important part of the exorcism where they say, tell me your name, and they insist on hearing the name? Is that important? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's significant. And, yes, it is a part of, you know, uh, the procedure, you might say. So what demons try to do, what evil spirits try to do, and it's kind of funny if you think about it, or dramatic, uh, maybe a paradox. On the one hand, they want to attack and 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 intimidate certain people. There's no question about that. On the other hand, strangely enough, they seem to want to hide and confuse people. So, hmm. what will what will happen is even during an exorcism, when people are aware that something you know evil and spiritual is going on. The demons will characteristically lie. They may say, you know, I'm a dead soul. They may say, you know, I'm Judas Iscariot or Hitler or something. Uh, or I'm, uh, you know, Uncle Jimmy, the, the evil uncle in the family. So <laughs> they, char- they, 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 characteristically, they characteristically lie. Because in a way, they like, attacking, sadistically intimidating people, uh, and also corrupting people if they can, but they they sometimes don't want to really reveal themselves. So what happens is when the exorcist, through the prayers, ultimately, you know, any good exorcist is, is going to say, this is not me, this is by the power of our Lord, any exorcist is going to try to get the uh, demon to to tell the truth and to say who it really is and that it's an evil spirit. And 
the, the demons don't really want to do that. So when when the demon is eventually forced, you know, in successful series of exorcisms, when they're forced to tell their name, in effect is a kind of unwilling submission to the power oh. of the exorcist, to the power of the church, to the power of God, ultimately. In other words, they're, they're forced to submit or subject themselves to a stronger power. Now, you know, in, in certainly in the Christian religion and in, in some of the older Jewish beliefs, Muslims belief, you know, the monotheistic religions all say that, you know, God is much more powerful than Satan and evil spirits, you know. That's that's mm-hmm. the constant teaching which I believe. So but but the demons don't want to really submit to anything beyond themselves. That's kinda how they became what they are, you know, they want their own they want their own uh, uh realm of freedom you might say. So uh when they're forced to actually admit who they are, um that's when, you know, you begin to be optimistic because you know that they're having to submit to a higher a higher authority than whatever authority they're already under, you know, which is usually believed to be Satan. That is so interesting. So it is important. Well, I'm so glad that you answered that question. As I've thought about well, that let, a lot, let me, you know. Let me tell you a related story that, you know, many yeah, of please. your viewers may, may be interested in. So I dealt with another woman. Um, I, I forget the name I give her in the book, but you know I always I always give her um, pseudonyms. Uh, I'm going to call her Sophia just for the heck of it. So Sophia came to me, and she was also a very lovely woman. Um, uh, and she came to me uh, because you know the priest. A lot of times, the way I see people is you know a priest will send them to me when. You know, they, they want a they want a medical opinion, and um, she said to me, uh, Doctor Gallagher, the priest uh, sent me. This was a priest I think I knew too, and um, she said, um, I told the priest that I was uh, hearing from angels, and I said, Well, you know, were you seeing angels? No, I wasn't seeing angels. I was just getting a message from them. And I asked, you know, being a psychiatrist, I asked, you know, how did how did she experience that, and what kind of a person she she was, and uh, uh, she said, well, I, it's not like you know, uh, a schizophrenic person. I don't hear it with my ears. It's just a very powerful message in my mind. And you know, this seemed like a perfectly sane woman. It didn't seem like her imagination. Uh, I did ask her, you know, if anybody had seen if medication would help her, and and she said yes. I tried it and it did no good. And I, I told that doctor it wasn't going to do any good, and I was right. And oh, uh, so I said, so so you've all, you've already been through that. She goes yes. And I said, and you're absolutely convinced that you're getting a message from angels. She goes, well, that's the thing, doctor. I don't really think that they're angels. And I said, why is that? She said, well, I'm not important enough for angels to talk to me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and you know, I don't think that they would give me this uh, uh, message, this mission. You know, they, they wanted her to, you know, sort of announce something to the world. 
And uh, she said, you know, that's that's not who I am. I don't think that angels would pick me. So I was impressed by her, you know, common sense and her humility. And I said, well, you know, why don't you continue, you know, praying about this with the priest and, and, and you know, come back in a month and we'll see what happened. She came back a month later and she said, you know, she said, doctor, you kind of predicted this, I think, but, you know, these messages are now have changed. And I said, well, Sophia, what, um, you know, what are they telling you now? She goes, well, now they're saying that they're dead souls, that oh. dead souls are talking to me. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know how, you know how common that sort of thing is. Uh, so, uh, and I said to her, well, um, you know, Sophia, what do you believe about that? And she said, well, I'm a little skeptical because I know in the Bible there's some discouragement of that sort of thing. This is why I said your your viewers and you you, you two may, may be interested in, in this story, at least in certain cases. Uh, and so I said, well, you know, continue to, to go back and talk to the priest and pray about this and let's see what happens. And about a month later, she contacted me and she said, well, doctor, now they're saying that they're evil spirits. Uh-oh. And I said, so, and I said, so what did you, what did you wind up believing? And she said, well, I think they originally pretended to be angels. Then they pretended to be de- de- dead, dead souls. Then they pretend, then they, they finally were forced, I believe, that this was our belief. I mean, it is my belief too that they eventually, you know, had to declare themselves to be evil spirits. It reminds me a little bit, you know, if you guys have ever heard it, have you heard the word Dybbuk, you know, you know what a Dybbuk is? Oh, yeah. A a Dybbuk is, especially it was in the Jewish tradition, that they were thought to be wandering souls who, you know, maybe come back to avenge something or to possess somebody. Now, most of the, you know, Catholic experts that I know, as well as, quite frankly, myself, you know, we feel that evil spirits often pretend to be, you know, dead souls. Uh, I mean, there there are some people, some exorcists in certain religions who, you know, do think dead souls can, um, dead human souls can can possess people. Uh, I don't, I personally do not believe that, and it tends to be not the belief of, um, you know, most, most Catholic exorcists. So anyway, well, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a, that's a humbling story if you think about it. It is. And so what it. happened? What, what happened with this lady? I mean, she was very conscious of the, of what was going on and, and she was logical about how she was approaching it. So I, I was impressed again. Yeah. Again, this was, this was not, you know, this was not, I mean, she was a sensible person. She was not a well-educated person. She was a humble person. She was, uh, you know, taking care of her family and everything. She was, uh, you know, kind of a salt-of-the-earth person, we would say. And and she eventually, you know, continued her own prayers uh, because people's own prayers are important, too, as well as had the prayers of the church, and eventually that all disappeared. Mm-hmm. So oh, she, 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 like Maria, had a good outcome. That's excellent. That's wonderful. Yes. Now, have you mentioned you've seen... I'm sorry, go ahead, PK. You've got a question. I'm just going to ask if certain religions 
have more of a uh, affinity for this type of thing than others? To certain people? Yeah, certain religious groups. Uh, was, oh, well, was, I, I, think, like, I think this sort of thing happens all throughout history. I mean, I have a mm-hmm. chapter in the book where, you know, I, I, I mentioned that throughout world history, you know, all different cultures have experienced right. this stuff. Sometimes people will say to me, well, how come these possessions only happen in, you know, fundamentalist Christians? And, uh, you know, I guess they get the most publicity in the United States, but I said nothing could be further from the truth. I said, mm-hmm. in fact, if you have no religion uh, and, and you turn to something evil or, or something like that, you you probably have more of a risk of getting this and, and you don't know what to do about it. You know, at least at least most most sort of Christians or Muslims or something. You know they'll try to they'll try to uh, get the help of their clergy, but you know if you don't have any kind of belief in that sort of thing, you know you 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 feel you're much more on your own. But you know mm-hmm. all throughout you know other religions and history, shaman shamanism and uh, you know different pagan religions. I mean this stuff has always gone on. Uh, and that's why, you know, I mentioned this German professor who did a mammoth, you know, 700-page survey of this sort of thing all over the world. And he concluded that, you know, the similarities of, in, the, in this case, possessions, the similarity of possessions throughout all these different cultures is striking. And it indicates that, you know, whatever whatever people wind up believing about these things, uh, that something, you know, almost universal is going on. That's amazing. And then for for the people that possessed or oppressed, and it doesn't work for them, the exorcisms, mm-hmm. the prayers, I mean, have you witnessed that also? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Uh, you know, not everybody is delivered, and and even some decent people who maybe maybe have changed their life from you know getting involved in occult and evil stuff to you know becoming you know much more wonderful, devout people. They can they can be possessed for years. I mean, I've seen I've seen you know, a number of exorcisms that in one session the person was delivered and others that go on for a long time or even, you know, are never delivered. Now, um, you know, one of the cases I write about in the book was a woman uh, from, uh, you know, from uh, an Hispanic culture outside the United States. And, you know, she had a, a mother who assigned a spirit to her and uh, uh, this woman always kind of resisted it largely, but but did become possessed and, uh, you know, then became a very devout religious person. And she was delivered in two sessions, um, whereas the, the, the character that I highlight in the book is actually going to be a movie made about her. Uh, I call her Julia, the Satanic Queen. She was literally the high priestess of this rare satanic cult. Again, forgive me for mentioning once again that, you know, there has often been, and even when I started, 
you know, a, a real panic about Satanists around every corner. I do not believe that's the case. But this this woman who I called Julia was the real deal. Now, she also, she was, again, not a very educated person, but, you know, actually a quite intelligent, thoughtful person. And when she came to the church before she was sent to me for evaluation, uh, she knew she was possessed, and, and the priest knew it too. And um, the reason that she was sent to me and, and, and the priest required this to happen is because she was very ambivalent about how to, how to you know, deal with her situation. Because on the one hand, you know, you can imagine most people don't like being possessed. On right. the other hand, on the other hand, uh, she didn't really want to stop her satanic practices. I mean, this was a woman who literally worshipped Satan, and she felt she got a lot of gifts out of it. In fact, she said to me, people think I'm gifted. I'm not gifted. This is all from Satan. I, I think she was very realistic about that. And she was, you know, she claimed to me, she claimed to me at one point she was, she was kind of the high priestess of the cult, and there was a, a a male leader of the cult who was a high priest, and she was kind of in love with him, and she was also afraid of leaving the cult. So you can see that this was a very conflicted woman. You know, she wanted to be rid of the possession, but she didn't want to leave the cult. Or, you know, strangely enough, she didn't even want to give up her, you know, worship of Satan. And, of course, hmm. we all told her, look, Julia, if you don't do that, you know, you're never going to be delivered. And so this is a woman who had, you know, the very dramatic manifestations that I talked about during the exorcisms, levitation, et cetera, et cetera, uh, speaking foreign languages, you know, fighting against those restraining uh, her for hours in a way that, you know, the, uh, the, the witnesses felt was just beyond human capacity. But she was never delivered uh, precisely because, she never renounced uh, her involvement in the cult and her her occult practices. So it depends wow. on the case. You know what what yeah. Hollywood gets what Hollywood gets wrong is they sometimes act like it's all magic. You know, and, and mm -hmm. if if you get if you get the proper witch doctor and the witch doctor says the right mumbo jumbo prayers and you know finds herbs and roots to heal the problem, everything's going to go away doesn't really work that way you know these these people get delivered not only because of people's prayers and exorcism ultimately is a prayer again it's not the exorcist who does the deliverance it's god ultimately but mm -hmm. the prayers are very important exorcisms are very important but just as important is the inner spiritual efforts of the individual so, you know, uh, the woman I call Barbara, uh, this woman I think I call in the book, uh, and, um, you know, they really worked at getting delivered, and they were delivered. Whereas uh, someone like Julia, um, the satanic queen, we call her, uh, they are, they are, Hollywood is going to make a movie about this woman because it's such a dramatic story that I, I highlight in the book. Um, you know, she was the real deal, the rare, rare Satanist. She was, she was never delivered, and it was very obvious why she wasn't because she never, she never renounced her uh, evil ways. 
Wow. Now, as, as I recall, uh, you had some paranormal experiences that happened uh, around this uh, situation with Julia when you were mm-hmm. at your own home. Yeah, I mean, I, I never felt directly attacked or like, you know, I saw any spirit or anything. Nothing like that has ever happened to me. But it started out, I mean, you know, I I, I, I mean, I observed a number of her paranormal abilities. We can get into that if you want. But it, yeah. it started out, it started out that uh, I hadn't met her yet. I mean, the priest wanted to introduce her to me. And, you know, I said, well, you know, we'll work it out. You, sh- you can come to my office in a few days or something. So I, I was in the bedroom, you know, with with my wife. And, uh, you know, we were asleep. And all of a sudden we got awakened, uh, you know, about 3, 3 a.m. or so. And we had two relatively placid cats. And they they would lie at the end of the bed. And, you know, they were well-behaved cats. And all of a sudden, you know, they were scratching each other and smacking each other and screeching. And, you know, we couldn't figure what was going on. It woke us up, and we had to actually separate the cats. So, you know, we thought, well, you know, maybe they ate something bad or something. Who knows? And But what, but what happened the next morning is... And I was annoyed at the priest for doing this uh, because I don't think he should do it, and he never did it again. But he was so anxious that I meet this woman that he actually brought the woman to my house the next morning. Oh. I said to him, him, Father, please don't ever do that again. But as I answered the door and I was introduced to this woman that I called Julia, again, not her real name, Julia says to me, Oh, hi, Dr. Gallagher. Nice to meet you. And by the way, how did you like those cats last night? Oh, my (laughs) goodness. She obviously either either knew about it or, you know, I mean, had she caused it or, you know, who knows. But, you know, it was clearly something instigated and, you know, and. I began to say to myself, "Well, what have I, what have I got myself involved in here?" <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's. I mean, I'll tell you a funny aspect of this. She had, you know, I, I as a psychiatrist, the priest wanted, you know, her to work with a doctor, but uh, a physician. But uh, you know, he, she had already been assessed by two psychologists, one of whom I knew quite well, and. When I was talking to them, trying to find out more about her, they each told me that their cats had gone a little berserk too. So, uh, you know, this was this was quite a case. And this woman exhibited, trust me, some some stuff that I observed. She exhibited quite a lot of, you know, you might say paranormal powers. You know, we would use the word preternatural, you know, because we feel all paranormal stuff is either good or bad. So that there is, mm-hmm. you know, certain supernatural things that happen, like miracles, uh, you know, healings and that sort of stuff, um, and and you know, some some people who you know seems to have, you know, supernatural messages, but uh, you know, we think the predominant, um, a lot of paranormal phenomena is darker. And those we call preternatural. 
So, uh, you know, what, what the modern term paranormal, you know, it is a modern term from the 19th century. You know, it really is talking about things that used to be called spiritual as non-material. So that mm-hmm. they were either supernatural or preternatural. And uh, in Julia's case, she had what I guess a lot of modern people would say are these paranormal abilities, but we would say that they're preternatural. They, they, they were, you know, you might say gifted to her by uh, her own opinion was by Satan himself. Gosh. So what do, else did you see do you, her do? You said that, that you uh, witnessed different things that she could do that were definitely of a paranormal variety. What else well, besides may, the levitation? You know, I, I know you two are knowledgeable about, you know, this sort of thing. So you may have heard of something called remote viewing, which oh, yeah. is where, where someone yeah. can see things at a distance. And uh, she told me a couple of times that she was doing that, but, uh, you know, again, I was a little skeptical. This was a little early on in my work with these individuals. And one day she said, you know, I can see the exorcist, what he's doing right now. And, you know, at this point I wasn't going to let her get away with it. You know, I, I think I literally said to her, you know, I had a, I had an informal enough relationship with her. Again, I wasn't serving as her doctor or anything. Um, I, uh, I said, okay, Miss Smarty Pants, you know, what is he doing? <laughs> and she said, well, he's walking along the beach, and he's saying his mumbo-jumbo prayers. I mean, she was referring to the prayers a, a priest says, you know, what's called the breviary. And uh, I said, and what is he wearing? And uh, she, he said, she said, he's wearing a, a windbreaker, what color? Blue, a blue windbreaker and khaki pants, you know. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to call him. Now, this guy was 100 miles away, you know, and she she hadn't had any contact with him, you know, in a while. So I called him, and, you know, he called himself Father A, and that's literally, you know, sort of what he called himself to remain anonymous, and I call him that in the book. And I said, um, you know, Father Ray, this is Rich Gallagher, um, uh, you know, how are things going? What are you doing? And he said, well, Rich, normally I would be at, you know, at, at the rectory, at the residence. But I, I decided, you know, it was a nice evening. I'd take a, I'd take a walk along the beach, you know, a mile or so from where I live. Uh, he lived near, you know, Long Island Sound is what it was. And uh, I said to him, uh, what are you wearing? And he said, uh, who wants to know? And I said, <laughs> I said, I said, Father A, Father A, just, you know, just humor me for the moment. He said, well, you know, I have, uh, I have my windbreaker on, uh, you know, what color, blue, uh, I have my khaki pants. And, uh, and then he, you know, he was a he was a very intuitive guy himself. You know, I think he did actually have some psychic abilities of a good sort. And he said to me, um, "I know what's going on." And and I said, "What?" He said, "You're talking to Julia, right?" And she's 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 seeing me. And I said, "That's exactly right." And so, 
you know, that was, that was again, a lot, uh, as you may know, the parapsychologists call that remote viewing. And, yeah, and she right. had, you know, she had a and she also knew a lot of things, you know, sort of like a fortune teller. Uh, she knew how my mother died. She knew how a lot of people died. So she had this mm. hidden knowledge. And when I would ask her about, you know, uh, how she got that, she said, this, this is why I'm a Satanist, you know, because yeah. Satan gives me disabilities. Uh, I'll tell you one other story that's kind of kind of striking. I had seen her going in. I had seen her go into a trance once, uh, and this was outside of the exorcisms. You know, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they only go into a trance when, you know, the priest commands the demon to manifest himself. But uh, we were driving in a car and uh, with the priest, and all of a sudden she was in the back seat, and all of a sudden, you know, this guttural voice came out of her no it's clearly you know what is a possession a possession is where a spirit takes over the the body and the brain and the consciousness of the person you know they they can't affect you know what we call the soul uh so the demon started speaking it was using her her vocal cords but, you know, it was the voice sounded different. In other words, it didn't sound like a ghostly voice. It sounded like, you know, sort of a some kind of male voice taking over mm-hmm. her vocal cords. And, uh, you know, it said, uh, I'm not going to try to imitate it, but it was something to the effect like, oh, we told you to leave her alone, you stupid priest. You stupid <laughs> effing, you stupid effing <laughs> monkey priest. Quite hostile. Now, that went on for about five minutes, and then she came out of it. She came out of it, and she had no recollection of what happened. You know, I asked her about. It. I said, do you, "Do you remember what just happened?" She goes, "What are you talking about?" Although she she noticed that the, that we had driven out of the city, and so the scenery had changed. And she said, "You know, how did you get how did you get out of the out of the city so quick?" Anyway, long story short. A couple of weeks later, the priest, I'm at my home, and at this point, Julia had gone back to her home. She lived about 800 miles away, so, you know, we knew where she was. She was at her own home, and um, I was talking to the uh, exorcist on my on my landline, and he was inviting me to come to her exorcism, which I actually never did go to any of our exorcisms, but I, you know, from all the people who witnessed things, including her eventual levitation. And I'm talking to the priest, and all of a sudden, um, that same voice came in over the phone line. We told her to leave you alone, you effing priest. You're going to be sorry. And this is this is a very characteristic thing that they say because they're trying to intimidate the priest. I mean, I was talking to the priest, mm-hmm. not to me, but I heard it and I said, you know, uh, you know, Father, did you just hear that? What what uh, what uh, that voice said over the phone? You know, which of course was similar to the demon we heard in the car. And he said, "Yes, uh, Rich. Uh, you know." This is what happens in this uh, dramatic cases. I mean, he thought this was a once in a century case because it was a you know case of a Satanist. So um, 
that is literally sometimes people ask me about my reactions now i'm pretty used to this stuff by now but i will say that was the only time in my life people talk about you know the hairs on the back of your neck going up yeah you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm i'm listening to this and i'm feeling like my 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 phone line even my household is being invaded in some way and wow. and you know literally the hairs on the back of my neck went up uh mm-hmm. and that's that's prob- probably the creepiest thing that that ever happened at least that i experienced i mean i've seen some remarkable things but this was in some ways the only time in my life where the hairs in the back of my neck uh went up i mean by this point i'm i'm kind of used to seeing these you know dramatic stuff that you know, people find people find literally hard to believe, and I I, I understand that. You know, I understand that. Yeah, and you for you, you uh, I was going to ask if more women or men are possessed versus, or does is it non-negotiable? They don't care either side. Well, you know, it's it's a good question you ask because it is sort of a controversy. I mean, my own experience and the experience of a lot of exorcists is that it really doesn't matter that many, many men, you know, just as many men and women mm-hmm. get attacked. Uh, there are other people who think it's more women do. And uh, uh, my own theory is, and maybe it's it's a little bit based on my, you know, being a academic psychiatrist, Women tend to seek help better than men. So, for instance, oh, you know, women who, are de- yep. women who are depressed are much more inclined to go to a doctor or go to a therapist. Mm-hmm. I think, I personally think, you know, that's one of the reasons why some people have the impression that more women are attacked. Uh, I mean, admittedly, in my book, you know, I write about a lot of women, but I write about men, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a gangster, you know, that I write about who eventually was also delivered, and he also levitated, by the way. And, uh, you know, obviously he was a male. But I, I personally do not, uh, to me it's almost a little sexist to say, you know, women are more vulnerable or something. I, I don't think that is. Could it be possible that, you know, demons who are not male or female themselves that demons in you know in the teachings of the church at least you know they're not they're not male demons or female demons uh you know most people would say you know they would have no particular reason to you know mm-hmm. single out single out women but there are there are some exorcists i know who think for you know god knows what reason that sometimes there are more women that they see than men maybe just because women seek help more yeah, or are women more vulnerable? They think. Well, they may think that. I don't know. I don't think that mm-hmm. myself, but they may think that. But they... Now, there's supposed to be some type of hierarchy with demons. There's some more powerful than others. It's my understanding. So, have you encountered that, or have priests shared information about that with you? That some of their hardest cases were uh, because the demons were more powerful. No, I I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, you know, some human beings are more powerful than other people. Most people Mm -hmm. who believe in angels, most people believe in angels feel some angels are more powerful than others. And, you know, uh, 
I, I do ascribe, you can see from a lot of my beliefs, they're fairly traditional. Uh, I do believe that uh, demons are fallen angels and that they have different abilities too. So, yes, I absolutely believe some demons are more powerful than others. And the more powerful ones, I think, are harder to get rid of. Uh, you know, my mm -hmm. own theory about Julia is that one of the reasons, and she had eight exorcisms. And then, you know, oh, I, wow. I think the main, I think the main reason she uh, wasn't delivered was because she didn't work at it and she didn't truly renounce Satan. You know, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too, as we say. But on the other right. hand, I think she probably, being a, a high priestess, she probably had very powerful demon or demons. Um, you know, sometimes there seems to be multiple demons, although I don't get caught up in that too much because demons lie so much. I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe, you know, uh, I've seen cases where they say there's a hundred of us or something like that. I mean, some of it seems to get ludicrous, uh, probably based on lies, but I have no doubt that whatever demonic force was involved with her was probably more powerful than some of the other, you know, characters, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about oppression versus possession. So can you give us a definition and so we can understand what each one really means? Well, I mentioned before, the, the, the concept of possession implies that the demon has established definite control over the agency of the person. So they can, in a way, can act through the person's body uh, and they can even take over the consciousness uh, so that the person may wind up in a trance. Uh, oppression are all sorts of lesser attacks. Now, you know, they can be like a physical attack like Maria and trust me, I've, I've, I've talked to literally hundreds of people over the years. Now, again, this is over 30 years who have come to me and said, you know, demons punch me, choke me, scratch me, push me, um, slip me up in the air. I mean, look, I mean, are all those stories true? Well, you know, I think most of them are credible. That doesn't mean that somebody couldn't be making it up or imagining it or something. But I, I have no doubt, and some people use a different word for that. Sometimes they'll use the word... Um, vexation, you know, a physical attack of a demon on a person, but the demon mm -hmm. never, you know, never controls the person. That's that's one type of possession, uh, oppression. Now, the other type of oppression is like what happened with that woman who was having these very very powerful messages in her in her in her mind, you might say. Uh, that was another type of attack. We, we, I, I call that, other people have different terms for it, I call that an internal uh, or, um, oppression. And that's where demons seem to have some ability. Again, it's always limited. You know, it's not like demons can mm -hmm. uh, do whatever they want. You know, um, you know they're constrained in their own way um, by, by God's providence and God's protection and, you know, uh, but uh, they they do have some ability to attack human imagination, human senses, human memory. Um, 
I mean, I'll, I'll give you another example. You know, a woman in the book I talk about who was a housewife, um, you know, I call her a housewife from West Virginia, a rural area. But, you know, again, her name and her location were not correct, but everything else in my story about her was correct. Now, she, as a uh, young woman, had gotten involved in some ritual satanic practices and that's why she got possessed presumably and um, when i first met her uh you know people would tell me including her husband that she can hear fine unless you're talking to her about some kind of religious subject so for instance if you said to her catherine um you know, did you go to the store this morning? And she said, yeah, I, I went to the store. I bought some, you know, potatoes and bread. Uh, you know, what else did you do? Well, you know, I put I put gas in the pickup truck. <laughs> they had a pickup truck. So, uh, but if you said to her, uh, Catherine, did you pray today? Or Catherine, did you go to church? Or Catherine, did you, you know, how is your faith in our Lord? She could not hear that she just couldn't hear it and she'd look at you quizzically like what are you saying i I don't hear you Um, and i remember i remember i went to uh attend one of her exorcisms and i went with a psychiatric colleague of mine so and we both came up with a bright idea well she since she can't hear us why don't we write down on a piece of paper questions and she could maybe write back the answer or say the answer because, you know, she could speak. Yeah. So, idea. Uh, so we, so we wrote down a question, uh, you know, what did Catherine, what did you do this morning? And she said, well, you know, the, 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 this morning I was out in the back with the kids and, you know, we sat around, I wasn't feeling so great. Uh, she often started to feel bad when the exorcism was about to start. And um, so then we, we said, and, uh, you know, we wrote down on this paper, piece of paper, Catherine, um, were you able, are you able to pray at this point? And I remember the, the sort of pained, hurt look on her face. And she looked at me and said, Dr. Gallagher, why did you show me a blank piece of paper? <gasps> so remarkably, oh, you know, the demons were affecting, as I said, they can affect, you know, sort of what people think in their brain at times, at least to some extent. And they can also affect your senses. Uh, you know, Jeez. they can take away, They again, you know, it doesn't happen in every case, obviously, but in this woman's case, they... They, they could take away her hearing. They could even take away or very selectively her sight because it's not like it's not like she was blind all the time or anything, or it's not like she couldn't hear mundane things. And the reason, you know, we surmised why this was happening is because if you think about it, if she couldn't hear anything of a spiritual or religious nature, nobody could really give her spiritual advice. Right. And so it, it it was it was the demon's way of keeping her from getting any you know religious spiritual advice and support, and that seemed to be that seemed to be the uh, that seemed to be the motive that the demons had to interfere with her sense 
sense of hearing and sight very selectively. Now, there have been other possessed people who, who cannot hear at all. You know, I mean, I think even in the Gospels, there's stories about, you know, people who are possessed who were deaf, deaf and, and mute uh, that were healed uh, with a with a with a uh, exorcism by, in this case, I honestly believe by Jesus. Yeah, gosh. And so, what happened with this lady? Was this all uh, taken care of by the exorcisms that she went through? Well. You know, I've seen enough cases in my life, this is going to sound strange, that I don't follow up with everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. I had heard at some point that she was doing better, uh, but I don't know what the ultimate outcome was. You know, I just, you know, look, you know, I see a a lot of these cases, but I also have a full-time career as a psychiatrist and a teacher and a professor. (laughs) So, you know, Uh, I can't, there's only 24 hours in the day, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, these stories are just so fascinating, and, of course, we'd like to hear that there is a happy ending more than not, so so I always ask. There, there, certainly... there, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of happy endings. I mean, I, in the book, uh, uh, Demonic Foes, if I can mention the name again, which Please. You know, is easily, yes, easily, av- easily available by Amazon, uh, uh, I like the book. I don't say I liked writing the book, but, you know, I found it worthwhile writing the book because uh, so many people had asked me to do that. In fact, everything I've done, you know, whether it's write articles, eventually we're making a movie, uh, join the International Association, get involved in the first place, everything I've done, I've been asked to do. I'm not sure that this is a good field to volunteer for. But having said that, HarperCollins published my book, and I was delighted. Uh, you know, it's the second biggest publishing company in the world. I was delighted that they let me write the book I wanted. Now, uh, you know, all these stories I'm telling you today, or most of them, are in the book. And, you know, so I tried to make, you know, the book interesting. Uh, but it's a very serious book. You know, I mean, some people think it's a little too serious serious, uh, because, you know, the point was to, you know, write it to different audiences. Uh, I've had many exorcists who tell me the book is helpful for them, uh, many clergy and, you know, other people who, you know, think they may be attacked, but, you know, maybe need to think about whether, you know, they have dissociative problems or something like that. So some people I find it helpful personally, and and the public often finds it very interesting just to hear about this and hear about the implications of mm-hmm. this stuff. Because quite quite obviously, uh, you know, if if one comes to examine the evidence, which I think is I think is very very much greater than most people think, if one looks at the evidence just very objectively. Uh, you know, I think one be, one becomes more and more convinced that, uh, you know, this is something people have to think about and recognize the the forces of good and the forces of evil in the mm-hmm. uh, in the in the uh, in the universe. I'll tell you a funny story. You know, I'm not shy about talking about this subject. Obviously, uh, I'm talking to your large audiences right now, right. but. 
you know, I over the years, I mean, you know, I'm a doctor. I mean, there are plenty of psychiatrists who are skeptical because, you know, they see so many people with mental problems who kind of imagine this or, you know, have hallucinations of evil spirits and stuff like that that are, you know, medical problems. And, you know, I've, I've, I've obviously dealt with hundreds of those individuals, too. But, you know, in, 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 in general, um, you know, uh, people don't, don't truly realize that um, over history, even though it's rare in any individual situation, and it has often been confused with a medical problem, uh, admittedly. Um, on the other hand, you know, there's just tremendous, tremendous evidence for this stuff throughout history. So people, you know, who I think would be interested in this sort of thing uh, probably probably would uh, find a serious uh, book on this subject, um, you know, fascinating. It is Definitely. fascinating. It's very well written, and it, I mean, it, it's. I highly recommend it. I know you do too, PK, to our oh, audience. Definitely. We'll be talking about this beyond the show for sure, Doctor Gallagher. And you've well, created a, you. a bridge. Oh, you're so welcome. And you've created a very important bridge here between the science of psychiatry and these things that are happening that are that usually fall mm-hmm. under the heading of paranormal. And it's so needed. It's so necessary. I mean, if you think about the people that have gotten help through being evaluated by you and finding out, mm-hmm. yeah, they don't have a psychiatric issue, they have a spiritual issue, and here's how to get help. I mean, that's so vital. Or, or, so or, or the reverse. Or the, or the reverse. They think they have a right. spiritual issue, and it turns out to be psychiatric. So, yeah. I mean, the way I the way I put it, uh, Patricia, is, um, you know, there is no contradiction between my position as a doctor and you know a science, scientifically trained person, and and these beliefs, spiritual beliefs, you know, and actually the mainstream, you know, Western tradition has always emphasized that both faith and reason, you know, go hand in hand. So, and also when people say, well, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream? I say to them, what mainstream are you talking about? I mean, most, 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 most people in America believe in evil spirits. Most people in the world, I mean, there are, there are areas of Europe and the United States that are, they're very secular, but most people in the world believe in evil spirits. My book was published, for instance, in Japan, where Mm -hmm. there's, you know, a great deal of interest in evil spirits. Uh, oh, even yeah. though, you know, it's a non-Christian country. So uh, I say, uh, you know, maybe people who question me, they're the ones out of the mainstream. Perfect Dr. answer. Gallagher, do you find that different nationalities may tend more towards this than others? Nationality? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Well, I mean, yes, I think uh-huh. there are certain cultures that are more interested in this, or you know, maybe they maybe they are a little more superstitious than other ones. I don't want to stereotype mm-hmm. any particular group, but you know, there are certainly cultures throughout history that have exaggerated this stuff. That have you know, sort of like the witch hysteria of you know a couple hundred years ago. I mean, you know, there were real yeah. there were real abuses even in America. 
you know, there are people who think there are Satanists all over the place and they control the government. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, we had a lot of what we called false memories uh, of people who were, you know, tortured or uh, ritualized uh, sexually by, you know, these legions of Satanists around the world. You have to realize that some people do have false memories of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And number two, there there are there are other people who have written bestsellers uh, or at least reasonably well-selling books that just make up the stories. So you know, I mean, I tried to do, to give a, a sober account. On the one hand, you know, I want people, uh, you know, as C.S. Lewis used to say, to be aware of this, but. You know, not right. to be pre- preoccupied with it or see the devil everywhere, which is another um, another danger. You know, in terms of in terms of in terms of say it again. I said good legitimate information to keep us on on par with what's really taking. Yeah, place. yeah, you have to you have to have a a, a balanced view about this. And again, mm-hmm. I you know I remain I remain a scientist. You know, you have to look at the testimony of people see if it's credible. Sometimes people who are, you know, religious fundamentalists will say to me, well, you know, I'm sure you don't believe in evolution or the Big Bang, right? And I say, no, I think God used evolution. Uh, that That's the way, you know, human beings develop. And I definitely believe in the Big Bang theory. Uh, so, you know, you can be, you can have, you can have a scientific mentality and still believe in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and it's there's so, so much history to this. Also, this is mm-hmm. you have so many historical accounts of things that have happened through the years. It's, I mean, this this whole subject is fascinating. And what I'm so heartened by is that people can get help, and like you said, in Definitely. one direction or the other, either the spiritual help they need or the psychiatric help they need. Either way, it's you've opened up a doorway so that people can mm-hmm. find out. I mean, you know how to evaluate patients and and see if it's one or another. You know how to tell the difference. And that's that's incredible. Now, are you teaching other psychiatrists? Because you are also on the teaching staff. Are you teaching students and other psychiatrists how to recognize actual possession or oppression? Well, first of all, I don't want to give the impression like I'm the only psychiatrist in the world who believes in this stuff. I I know many, many, you know, mental health people, psychologists, psychiatric nurses, you know, and other psychiatrists, including, you know, a number of friends of mine who believe exactly what I do. I've just been more outspoken about it, and therefore I've probably seen more of these cases than any other physician in the world. My academic chairman uh, who was a Catholic himself at, at one point, uh, former chairman, he said, uh, you know, you may have seen more of these cases than any doctor in history, which is probably true, uh, yeah. because now we have we now we have Zoom and the Internet. Now, again, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, t- I teach psychotherapy. I teach psychopharmacology. Now, when I teach those subjects, yeah, I don't get into this, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, there's a place for everything, right? And, you know, it's not like I'm yeah. trying to hit people over the head with that. So I do a lot of teaching about, you know, the history of psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, the value sometimes, you know, judiciously of using psychiatric medication. 
it doesn't really come up because it's not my role as a professor of psychiatry to teach that. Um, on the other hand, I also, you know, uh, part-time, I, I teach at a, a Catholic seminary, the Catholic seminary in New York. And uh, at that seminary, I teach a course in this. In fact, anyone ah, with a college okay. degree, and, it, you know, I mainly teach it to the future priest, but anyone actually... Um, you know, with a high school, with a with a college education, you know, can sign up and you know, pay the tuition and, and be a member of my course because we also do it by Zoom. So uh, yes, I do I do I do I do some teaching of this, uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't I don't do it every single year, but every couple of years I'll I'll have the course and and it tends to be a very popular course. I bet. <laughs> Gosh, where can people sign up for that? Which uh, college is that one? Well, it's it's the Catholic Seminary in New York. It's called St. Joseph Seminary. Seminary. Okay. Uh, yeah, and they would have to con they would have to contact the uh, um, you know it's like a graduate program. Uh, they, right. they do require a college degree. Mm -hmm. So, but sure. people people could could get in touch with the uh, Catholic Seminary in New York and ask about signing up. I think I'm going to give the course not this year, but next year. Yeah. Super. Wonderful. Oh, gosh. Well, Dr. Gallagher, this time has gone way too fast with you. Uh, we're almost out of time. I can't believe it. This has been great. Again, the name of the book, everybody, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Make sure you get a copy. Oh, my gosh. This has been great. Well, Dr. Gallagher, we can't thank you enough for being on the show with us. We've learned so much tonight, and it's been very exciting. Yes. Well, thank you for the, thank you for the invitation, and, and, and you're obviously uh, both uh, thoughtful interviewers, so it was a pleasure talking to you again. Oh, well, oh, thank you so much. Do you have a book, too, in the works? Uh, well, I'm mainly working. Uh, I, I'm executive producer on a Hollywood movie. And oh, so we're, we're, Okay, well, that's where your energy is going next. <laughs> that, that's taking up a certain amount of my time. And, uh, I it's, bet. It, it's uh, it's so being produced by uh, what's, called, what's called Blumhouse. That was a guy, I know Jason Blumhouse. Blum, yeah. Who, uh, oh, yeah. God. And he, uh, he he got he got he got very very intrigued with the book and and especially the uh, the character of Julia the Satanic Queen. So oh, probably probably in a couple of years you can go to the theater and and watch the movie The Satanic Queen. Excellent. Well, congratulations <laughs> on that, and and please keep us posted Thank on you. your further endeavors. This has been wonderful. I, 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 I suppose it's a little bit in the category of careful what you wish for, but uh, you know we uh, we're trying to put out a, a, a credible movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a I'm creepy sure movie. It's just going to be it's just going to be a drama of, of the real life story of uh, Julia the Satanic Queen. Well, Blumhouse always does a good job. It's a big name, big name in Hollywood. So congratulations and best of luck with everything. Please keep us posted. Let us know when your movie is going to come out. We'll promote it on the air. Not that it's going to need promotion. I'm sure it's going to be huge. So hey, it's thank a deal. you. All right. Thank, thank you, you Dr. Gallagher. Thank
Good night. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, Good luck bud. to you. Bye-bye. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.